morning, everybody. Welcome, welcome. It's uh, five days to Christmas. Can you believe it? My goodness gracious, where did that time go? It seems like yesterday it was July or June, and that was six months ago. I tell you, this year it's been weird, none to say the least, but um, I'm so glad that you're all here, uh, and those of you who are watching via the live stream, thank you for joining us uh, today as well. My name is Adam. I am the senior pastor here at uh, North Haven, and it's just a, such a thrill for me to not only continue to be here, but to see some of your faces, and uh, especially some faces I haven't seen in a while, so it's great to, I'm so glad to know everything's going well for your family, fantastic, and your little Little baby. Uh, we're just uh, ec- ec- excited to be able to venture further into our time together. And I'm a Christmas guy, I got to tell you. You know, last, last week, I think I said that my son is Mr. Christmas, and my, my wife corrected me. She said, Adam, I think that's you. I think you're Mr. Christmas, and your son, he takes his cue from you. Okay, that sounds fair. I love this time of year, and um, I love making it a a special time uh, for not only uh, my family, but for others around me as well. And, uh, And one of the things that I love to see happen during Christmas is just an incredible outpouring of generosity. Uh, that is just, it's so uh, wonderful to see that happen either in, in uh, somewhat kind of tangible ways, I'm going to move some stuff out of the way, in regards to um, uh, helping people in need, you know, whether it's at homeless shelters or uh, Salvation Army, if you've ever rang, anybody here rung a bell for the Salvation Army? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a fantastic opportunity to be able to do that. But also uh, financially, just the generosity that people have to willingly give of their resources to help people in need. And we presented an opportunity to North Haven two weeks ago that uh, you guys just blew it out of the water. And we did it. We, I, I presented a challenge to you all two weeks ago to raise money to send 163 of these talking Bibles to the Oromo people in Ethiopia. Uh, and the reasons, reasons why we uh, put that challenge uh, in front of you was because there are people in the world, uh, a large amount of people in the world, who have never heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They've never heard of it. They've never read it. They've never talked about it. It's just it's something that isn't in their consciousness. And a big reason for that, two things. One is because uh, a lot of people are uh, illiterate in this world. They, they don't have the ability to actually read. And then you have areas of the world where uh, the gospel just hasn't been able to get uh, inside. And that's one of these areas, the Aroma people here in Ethiopia, that they're largely illiterate. Uh, they can't read the Bible, let alone afford a, a, a talking Bible, which a talking Bible is a Bible that is specific in a language. And so these Bibles here, these ones that you see stacked up in front of me, in front of you, all of these 163 talking Bibles are in the R.C. Aroma language. And, uh, and, and because not only can they not afford that and they can't read it, these talking Bibles provide the opportunity for people who have never heard the gospel of Jesus to hear it. It was going to cost us $8,150 to send 163 talking Bibles. And I've had several questions about this, and I've mentioned it a couple times, but I just want to reiterate it. The reason it's 163 
is because um, when, when Talking Bibles begins um, an initiative with an area in the world, they first, the first step, the first wave is to uh, get um, Talking Bibles into the hands of every pastor or evangelist in that area. And Talking Bibles has pinpointed 163 of these individuals. And so that's why we have that number here. And, and being that every Talking Bible costs $50 to send, $8,150 was the amount. I asked you two weeks ago to prayerfully consider that. We have exceeded that in two weeks. It's just incredible, incredible. And that's because of the generosity of all of you being able to see that vision and to go forward saying, yes, let's make this happen. So let's give God a praise offering for, for making this possible. This is a huge deal, and it's my job to show you how big of a deal this is because, because the way that this operates, the way that this operates is that each of these talking Bibles, when they, when they get to an individual, they're going to take one of these, and they're going, to, they're going to put this into the hands of one of those pastors and evangelists, and, and then that pastor evangelist is going to create a listening group, one listening group that's going to include about 20 to 25 people. Is that the correct number generally, Paul? 20 to 25 people. That means that, means that each of these Bibles with each group, 20 to 25 people, 3,000 to 5,000 people in that area are going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ for the first time. That is huge. And that's not where it ends. We're going to continue to see Talking Bibles get to um, other people in that area. We're going to drench that area with the gospel of Jesus, with God's word. And as I mentioned, one of the things that I'm super personally excited about is the opportunity in the spring to go with Paul Lindbergh. Paul Lindbergh's in the back. Raise your hand, Paul. Paul works with Talking Bibles, and uh, we have the privilege of being able to have him here. This is his church home, and uh, uh, he and I are going to go together. We're going to hand deliver each of these 163 Talking Bibles to people in that area. I can't wait. We're going to document it. And along the way, we're going to continue to paint a picture of, of these people in this area because a big reason why we're doing it this way is I want all of you to see yourself in the act of missions. Missions can be, yes, it can be you praying for a missionary or for a mission organization. Missions can be, yes, you financially supporting missionaries and ministries. But missions also involves you beyond those things. It is, it is willingly and courageously asking God, God, where do you want me? What do you want me to do? Here I am, send me. And so I want to see, I want to help you to see your place in this. And so we're building a relationship, a relationship that I hope is going to continue to grow and blossom with this area of the world in North Haven Church. Again, I can't wait to see where God takes that. So you could probably tell that I'm excited about this. This is something that I knew, by the way, I knew that this was going to happen. I knew that just because this church is incredible, it never ceases to be uh, generous, and uh, we've seen that, I've seen that in my short time here time and time and time again. And so I knew that come the 24th, when we were going to, so this Thursday, we get together, that we were going to have all 163 of these talking Bibles uh, supported, financially supported. 
Um, I had no idea it was going to happen so quickly. So that's what blew me away. It's just absolutely incredible. But I'm excited, and you might even say, you might look at me and say, well, that, that guy has a lot of joy right now. Oh, okay, all right. I get it. We use that word, joy. We use that word in so many different ways, shapes, and forms, especially this time of year. I mean, what's, what's the most popular Christmas carol besides uh, Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer? What's the most popular Christmas carol? Joy to the world. We sing that song, joy to the world, the Lord is come. And we use this word joy all the time, especially during, during Christmas time. We, maybe we don't always say the word joy, but we think about it. We process it. We read about it. People say it. We hear it. This word invokes certain uh, ideas. And, and so what I want to do here is I, I want to ask the question right away, what is joy? What is this word that we sing about and that we, we talk about and, and, and we, we hear about? What is this word joy? How can we define it? Well, the first thing I like to do is I like to kind of go in and say, well, how does the world define it? Meaning, what does Webster's Dictionary define it as? So if you go to Webster's Dictionary, you're going, to see, you're going to see this definition. Joy is the emotion, the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires, a state of happiness. So that's how the world defines joy. And, and the key aspect of this definition is the word emotion. Emotion. We're going to look at that here again in just a second, but first let's, let's look at how the Bible defines it. You know, I've talked about this before, and you might have noticed we've actually been going through the Advent season. And Alyssa talked a little bit about that, but the first week we talked about love. Last week we talked about peace. Today we're talking about joy. And in all those aspects, I've been, I've been reinforcing this, this uh, truth that when we talk about love, we use love in all sorts of, I love Oreos, right? We use these words. What do they mean? Love, true love, is God. God is love. God is love. And so when we talk about love in the context of, of God's word, we're talking about, about him. We're talking about uh, the, that love, love is of God. It, it cannot be of anything else. It has to be of God. Same thing about peace. Peace is of God. It doesn't, nobody else, nothing else has a monopoly on peace. It is God's. And the same is true for joy. So how does the, what does the Bible have to say about, about joy. Well, we're going to look uh, at a couple passages in John. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, great. Turn to your, uh, turn to your Bible and uh, open up uh, to John, and we're going to be looking first at John chapter 16. And uh, if you don't have your Bible, it's in your phone. You can look it up there, or you can look up in the screen. Totally fine. Still the Word of God. So John chapter 16, it's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And we're going to look at verses 22 through 24. We're going to start there. Now this is Jesus talking. 
Some of you, if you're in your Bibles, you might even see that these are red letters. Whenever you see that in a Bible, that means that's Jesus actually speaking those. So in verse 22, it says this. Jesus says, so with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. In that day, in verse 23, in that day you will live, or sorry, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. In verse 24, until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Now Jesus in these verses uses the word joy or rejoice. Those are the same same word, basically, just a kind of different way of saying it. Uh, but he's using that, that word several times in these verses. Now, when we, when we look at word meanings in the Bible, uh, we have to look at the original language. We talked about that. I want, again, trying to reinforce how it is that we can correctly interpret Scripture. It's important that we do that as believers, that we open up the Word of God and we ask the question, what does the original language mean when it says this? The New Testament was written in Koine Greek. It's an ancient Greek that is in around today. But we have those, the meaning of those words, and sometimes they mean, they mean things differently in the Koine Greek language than they do in our language. So the Greek word, the ancient Greek word for joy that Jesus uses here, uses here several times is the Greek word kara, uh, C-H-A-R-A, kara. And that means something completely different. It means reason for gladness. Reason for gladness. Again, if we went to the Webster's definition, uh, the world defines joy as an emotion, now, if we, if we were to stand on a street corner and we were to ask people as they walked by, hey, how would you define joy? Much of what we read in that definition in Webster's is what we would hear from people. Nine times out of ten, they would sell, say something like happiness or, or contentment or um, getting something that you really want, um, an emotion. Those would be things that we would hear, and those might even be things that we would say as well. It's fine. But Jesus here, in John 16, as he's talking about it here, and he says, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice. So there's that first time he uses that word, and no one will take away your joy. No one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever he asks in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Now, if we take the meaning of that word then, that Greek word, reason for gladness, and we replace it. Let's look at what it says there. In John 16 again. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will have a reason and no one will take away that reason for your gladness. Ask and you will receive, and the reason for gladness that you have will be complete. That's a completely different way of looking at the same, the same word. So what is Jesus saying here? 
The first thing he's saying is that joy is not an emotion. Joy is not an emotion. And the big reason why, why we need to make that distinction is because emotions, they're not permanent. They're what? They're temporary. They're temporary. I mean, we, we are all bipolar to some degree. We have great days and we have bad days. We can be super happy one day and then super bummed out the next. I mean, it, it literally happens in the microcosm of opening presents sometimes on Christmas morning because you open up that, that one present from, from your great aunt and it's like purple pants with glitter on it and you're like, this is great, thanks so much. And inside you're just devastated because this isn't what you wanted. And then you open up the next present and, present and it's exactly what you wanted and you're super excited. And then you open up the next one, and it's a pair of boxer briefs that your mom weirdly gives you every year. Waves, we ebb and flow. We rise and fall. Emotions are temporary. Joy is not temporary. We'll get into that here. So joy is not an emotion, Jesus is saying. Rather, Jesus is saying that joy is a state of being. It is the reason for your gladness. Joy isn't the gladness that you feel. Joy is the reason why you feel and experience gladness. Emotions are conditional to our circumstance. Joy can be present and should be present regardless of our circumstances. In the previous chapter in, in John, uh, chapter 15, verses 9 through 11, Jesus talks about this beautiful progression of joy. Because, yeah, we could talk about joy till the cows come home. I could tell you what it is or what it should be, but the how and the why is, is super important. So let's look at that. John chapter 15, verses 9 through 11. Starting with verse 9, as the Father has loved me, again, this is Jesus talking, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. That, that's a message in and of itself right there for another day. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love, at verse 11, I have told you this so that my joy... And when he says my joy, he's saying his joy, right? Jesus' joy, the joy of the Lord, may be in you. I'm telling you this so that my joy, the joy of the Lord, Jesus' joy, may be in you, and that your joy then may be complete. And that's the progression. That's what we're going to break down here. So Jesus is saying, I've told you this so that my joy... My joy, Jesus' joy, the joy of the Lord may be in us so that our joy can be complete. There's an equation there. We've got to break that down. We often approach this differently than the way Jesus intended. We read this verse a lot of times, and we've, maybe we've heard it. I've told you this so that my, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And we think a little dab will do us. We just need a little bit of Jesus' joy. 
and we'll be good to go. And so what we do is we approach life in such a way where this is us, and we present ourselves as, some, as an empty vessel of sorts. And of course, of course, we want to live life with, with joy. Nobody wants to live life with, without joy or with the, the constant presence of pain. Nobody wants that for themselves. And so we read that and we're like, yeah, yes, I want some of, I want some of that. Give me some of that Jesus joy. You can that. You put that on the shelves, right? Jesus joy. And so we get a little bit of joy. Comes into our lives, gives us a little bit. Man, we feel good. We feel good. We got some Jesus joy in us. Yeah. But then what happens? We got so much left to fill. So this is what we do. We allow that to be filled by other things whether it be the fear that we have in our lives that comes in on a daily basis and wants to, wants to fill us up, or the despair, the despair that we have about the present and our fear of the future. What does despair also lead to? It can lead to anxiety, anxiety uh, about, about just constant worrying about provision and, and, what, and what, uh, whether or not you'll have enough. Or anger, the anger that we feel about things we've done or that things that, that have been done to us, or regret, regret for the things that we've done. You name it, any number of things that comes into our life that fills us and thus completely suppresses the joy of the Lord. So we live our lives like this a lot of times. A little dabble do us, we feel good, we kind of brush it off, we go throughout our day or our lives, and then we allow all those other things to fill our life, and then what do we do? We ask, where's the joy? Where's the joy? Why do I feel so bogged down with everything else? I thought this Jesus joy was the real thing. It's because we are bogged down. It's because we've allowed all of these other things to fill our lives so much so that the joy of the Lord, even though it's there, is completely suppressed and bogged down by what life has thrown at us. And so when Jesus, when Jesus is, is, is talking to us here and, he, and he's saying that I have told you so that, that my joy, Jesus' joy, may be in you and that your joy may be complete, his vision for us then is to be completely and utterly filled with his joy. To be fully filled with the joy of the Lord. This is his vision for us. Not just a little bit, not just enough to get by, not just a little dab, but to be completely filled with the joy that the Lord desires to bring. So let's look again at, 
at the passage in John 15. He says, if I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So Jesus is referring first to his joy. That this is mine. This comes from me. That if we're talking about joy, this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, he's saying that, that let's just make this clear. That joy thing, it's, it's, it's from me. It's, it's mine. That you can attribute that to other things, but that's a facade. Joy, it's mine. And so if you're truly going to have joy, it comes from me. We gotta, we gotta stop. We gotta stop getting and purchasing the 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 the, the, the uh, fake, right? The, the imitations. We gotta focus in on the real thing. Joy comes from Jesus. It comes from the Lord. So Jesus refers first to my joy. That is His joy. He then refers to your joy. And the key word here then is complete, and complete means to have a full degree, fully supplied, completely filled. So Jesus here is saying that his joy must fully exist within us, not just a little bit, not just an adequate amount, but completely. Now how? How do we do that? How do we keep our lives completely full then with the joy of the Lord? How is that a reality? Psalm 30 gives us a wonderful, beautiful clue. Psalm 30 in the middle of the Bible, in the Old Testament, verses 4 through 5, it says this. Verse 4, sing the praises of the Lord, you his faithful people. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. And then, then it says this, weeping may, may last for the night or may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Weeping may stay through the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Joy comes in the morning. See, what happens is every day the world or the enemy come by. This is, this is, this is life. Because, because we're on this side of eternity, because we haven't yet entered into the holy presence of the Lord, because we're still infected with this sin, not only in the world but in our lives, the world and the enemy comes by, and you know what happens? It knocks a little bit of that joy out, and we get depleted. <laughs> we all, you nod your head if you know what I'm talking about, right? The world or the enemy comes by again, and it knocks a little bit more joy out, and we get, we get depleted even more. Again, that might occur, and we get... We get knocked out just a little bit more. And, and what we need to stop doing is, is then filling our lives then with that other stuff. We need to stop, stop going to this route and instead, instead be refilled by the joy of the Lord. Not by our circumstances, not by our anger, not by our fear, not by our anxiety or our despair, but the joy that is 
His. How do we do that? Psalm 30. What does it say? It says, even, even though weeping may, may stay through the night, joy comes in the morning. Many of us, if not all of us, have seen some version of A Christmas Carol. There's 24 film versions of this movie. It's been one for almost every generation. And, uh, and, and what's really cool about it is that most of them uh, stay true to the original language that you find in the book. And whatever version you see, even, even the Muppet Christmas Carol stays, stays pretty much true to it. Although, you know, Rizzo the Rat's not obviously in Charles Dickens' book. But if you were to look at a list, like a ranking of the best Christmas Carol movies, chances are, chances are most, if not all of them, would say that the, that the, the number one, like the one that, that all of them are measured by, is the Alistair Ship version, 1951. I think that was his last name. Is that his last name? So, okay, whatever, you're not going to know. Alistair was his first name. Christmas Carol, 1951. Now, this is the version I, I watch every year. And uh, even though my favorite is obviously the Disney Scrooge McDuck one. I mean, that's, that's just a face. That's the best one. But, but this Alistair one, this 1951 version, is the version that I watched every year. Now, we all know the story about Ebenezer Scrooge. There, like I said, there's been two, 24 different versions of this made. Uh, but one of my favorite scenes in any of the versions is when he wakes up then on Christmas morning. And we know, we know the story. He gets visited by three ghosts, the ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, the ghost of Christmas future. He goes through this whole tumultuous experience, and then he wakes up in his room. He doesn't know it's Christmas yet, but he wakes up in his room safe, and a completely changed person. So I'm going to share this scene with you from the 1951 version. I'm not the man I was. I'm Tell me, what day is it? What day? Well, it's Christmas Day, of course. Christmas Day, Christmas Day, Christmas Day. Then I haven't missed it. <laughs> the spirits must have done everything in one night. <laughs> of course, they can do anything, can't they? Of course they can. <laughs> Are you quite yourself, sir? What? I don't know. No, I, I don't think so. I hope not. What? <laughs> the curtains are still here. They're still here. You didn't, you didn't tear them down and sell them. Hmm? They're, they're here now. Everything's here. I'm here. 
<laughs> and the shadows of things that would be can still be dispelled. And they will be. I know they will be. I know. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I'm as light as a feather. <laughs> I'm as happy as a, I'm as happy as an angel. I'm as merry as a schoolboy. <laughs> I'm as giddy. I'm as giddy as a drunken man. I, I never. <laughs> a merry Christmas, Ebenezer. <laughs> you old humbug. <laughs> now, one thing we forget when we think about uh, Christmas Carol, the the movie. One thing that we forget, or the the story rather is that the reason why that story becomes as is really been so cemented into our psyche isn't because of of that moment you know sure that's fun when we see scrooge then completely change and be a be a different person and and be excited and and be caring about other people more than himself a completely different person than he was the rest of the story that's cool but in almost every film version, there's narration that happens at the end that's taken from the text that Charles Dickens wrote in his book. And it talks about how he carried that on the rest of his life. That's what makes it so special. That's what makes it so significant is, is that he made a conscious decision every day to live life a different way. Because the story wouldn't mean anything if there was one great day and then on December 26th he became an old horrible miser again. And so joy, every single day should be the realization and the responsibility, the realization and the responsibility that we can begin again. Every day, the realization and the responsibility that we can begin again. That's why in the psalm it says, weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And how does joy come? Joy comes, the joy of the Lord comes when we do what it says in the beginning of that passage. In Psalm 30, sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord, all you godly ones. Praise his holy name. That doesn't mean that when you, when you open your eyes every morning that you're to start singing at the top of your lungs because you're going to freak people out. It means that when you open your eyes, your first intention your heart, your mind, your soul should be focused on Jesus, should be focused on Christ, praising God at the outset. But what do we do? How does, how does our life become like this? It becomes like this when we open our eyes and the first thing we do is we turn and we, we, we pick up our phone. We start reading the news, or we get on social media, or we start reading our emails, and we get bogged down. We get bogged down with, with the strife that's going on in the world. We get bogged down with our feelings of comparisons and jealousy that we sometimes experience in social media. 
when we get bogged down with the feeling of responsibility and overwhelmness when we read our emails and all the things that we haven't, that we're not doing, that we maybe should be doing, or we feel like we should be doing. Or maybe when you open up your eyes, you start thinking and processing with all the stuff that you got to do that day. Or you open your eyes and you think, oh, my life will be complete. I'll be able to move forward once I get that cup of coffee in my system. Maybe some of you have a French press right next to your bed. What would happen if once we opened up our eyes, once we began our day, that we instead focused everything on the Savior? What would happen if in that moment, every single day, we would, say, we would say to God, today is your day. I give it to you. I don't know completely what's going to unfold, but I do know that, that I can and will decide to live my life for you today. What does the Bible say? Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough cares and worries of its own. Tomorrow doesn't need any help from you. Just think about today. God, today I give you everything. I want to glorify you and I want to encourage others. Today I want my day to be like that. The Bible says... Again, it's equations. God is a God of process and systems. Look at how our bodies are made. One thing leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. The Bible's telling us that if we, every day, doesn't mean your days are going to be perfect. But it means that every single day, if you first focus on giving God the praise that he deserves fixing your eyes and your hearts and your minds on him that you will be filled with the joy of the Lord and even though even though the world's going to come at you every day and cause some of that joy to spill out you still have have allowed your complete self to be filled up to the full fullest and you have the determination you have the intentionality to open yourself up once again the next morning because joy comes each day each day and the day after that and the day after that and the day after that we talked about this before that every relationship, because of sin, the natural, the natural course of every relationship is to do this. That's what happens in marriages. That's what happens in friendships. That's what happens with, with family members. Every relationship goes like this, left to its own devices. Meaning that if you were to start any relationship with anybody in any context, and you, you felt like you, were the, you, you couldn't be any closer and you didn't make an intentional effort every single day 
to pursue that person then a year, two, five, 10, 15, 20, 25 years later, you're gonna find yourselves like this. That's why it's not enough to say I do on your wedding day and then not I do every single day that follows. The same is true with our relationship with the Lord. But, but God doesn't veer, <laughs> that's the thing. God remains constant, he remains true. But if we don't intentionally pursue him on a daily basis, we're going to find ourselves veering off. And then a year, two, five, ten years later, we're going to wonder what happened. Even though weeping may last for the night, joy comes in the morning when we daily give God the praise that he deserves. That's not just a Christmas message. That is a message for our lives. And I hope and pray that it's one that we take seriously. Let's pray. Father, I am so thankful for the opportunity that we have to be here today and to, yes, of course, to to be encouraged by each other's presence, to know that, that that we're doing church that we're growing and trying to be the church that you desire for us to be. But Lord, you know that left to its own devices, Lord, we can make this just a Sunday thing. That's That's not what you want for us. That's not what you want for every single person in this room. You want, you want us to live lives where every day, each and every day, we experience the full extent of your joy. That doesn't mean that we're walking around with crazy, happy, smiley faces on our, you know, smiles on our faces every day because we're happy, because we have this emotion. No, it's because we have a reason to be glad. And that reason, the reason of the hope that we have because of your son, Jesus Christ, the sacrifice that he became, and the life that we have because he rose from the dead and is living today, that reason causes us to be glad despite our circumstances. That's the joy that we should be filled up to the fullest extent. And we do that by praising you every day. And so I pray that we would, we would take the bold step, intentional step of fixing our eyes on you because joy comes in the morning, every morning. I pray this in your name. Amen.